Hello, everybody. My name is Omar Khuleh, and I am the guest curator of the One Five Forum at the African Contemporary Art Fair uh, this year in London. And we just kicked off today our VIP program um, with an incredible array of artists showcasing more galleries from the continent than ever before. This is our ninth year. And the forum this year is conceived really as what I've called a modular opera. Uh, we've commissioned poetry and sound, performance and video, and what are called salon-like conversations, which are intended to stimulate ideas that will continue to reverberate throughout the course of the next four days. Earlier this evening, I presented a performance lecture called The Continental Drift and with Koyoko from Zaitz Mocha. And it's my absolute pleasure to present our second session, The Virtual Salon. The idea behind the, the virtual salon came from thinking about this idea that we had all been living together via Zoom, together but apart, but also thinking about the proliferation of content that had been emerging during this time, not only globally in the West, but also on the continent as well. And we have also seen a specific growth in new forms of media, from NFTs, non-fungible tokens, the rise of a meme culture and the speculation around artificially intelligent technology and how it affects the art that we make. Um, Instagram was dubbed one of the, the number one place to discover new art by young artists, for example, during the pandemic. And we're seeing this real free flow and exchange between different platforms and media, both in terms of the art market and also theoretically in the curatorial field. Our host this evening is the incomparable, the incredible, the inimitable uh, princess, Dr. Alia El Sanusi, um, a dear friend and family member, and also uh, deeply intertwined in the life of 154 as a founding board member. Alia is a cultural strategist, a writer, a thinker, uh, and too many things to list. She is uh, currently a senior advisor to the senior advisor, yes, to the Ministry of Culture in Saudi Arabia, working with Dere'iya Foundation, who are launching two biennials in Saudi Arabia of uh, incredibly an epic scale in terms of the thought and depth of the work that is happening there. I've known her as an advisor to the Mel Melkin Institute, as a co-founder of the Manak Committee at Tate, Art Dubai, so many more things, but more than anything, as a real critical interlocutor around ideas that are emerging in the field. Also joining us today is Osunashi, who is um, Africa's leading uh, foremost crypto artist, excuse me, uh, whose work emerges very much from his personal experiences. And he has also launched a new NFT project, curated project of NFTs in partnership with 154 that have been launched at Christie's that are um, in their current auction. Also here today for is Sumaya Valley, the principal architect uh, of Counterspace, who, which, who also happens to be the youngest ever architect to design the iconic Serpentine Galleries Pavilion. Uh, named a Time 100 Next Individual Celebrating 100 Emerging Leaders of the Future, her work crosses hybrid identities to think about 
what is space and time using forensic and aural techniques. She cuts through gender, sexuality, and the very nature of the real and the supernatural. Uh, Gemma Rose Bentley is the chief curator at Avant Art, um, which is the largest community for young art lovers and collectors under the age of 35, but also it was previously for almost five years a chief curator at Artsy, of which I have many fun experiences and stories to tell. Uh, Gemma also works at Damon Hirst Studio, but also has been an active lecturer and teacher currently at the Royal College of Art as a visiting lecturer. And our special guest for this evening <laughs> is Tiny, formerly Tiny Tempa, who is uh, uh, one of the iconic musical figures of our time, um, really responsible for bringing forth uh, a resurgence in Black culture and music here in Britain. In particular, we invited Tiny and I'm honored that he was able to join us in the middle of his, um, as everyone has, this incredibly busy week for us all. Um, because of a, a recent collaboration and residency which saw Tiny produce uh, an a series of NFTs uh, with uh, really the first NFT residency, collaborative residency ever. And that experience is something that we hope Alia will take us deeper into. This conversation is being recorded and uh, will be available as a podcast afterward. And you can put your questions in the chat box for Alia to um, pick and choose from after the initial part of the salon. Alia, I hand over to you. Thank you very much for to all of you for being here. Thank you so much, Dr. Omar Khalif, our, our kind of wonderful, uh, you know, for the force majeure of, of all things that um, really, and, and uh, I think, you know, a lot of, of this conversation was also really, you know, kind of coming from my conversations with you, Omar, of, you know, we called it the Middle East meeting the Midwest. Uh, Omar was here in London and then went to Chicago, um, a place where, you know, the Midwest are very, uh, very close to my heart. And I think that idea of really bridging these worlds, right? So the Middle East and the Midwest, also two worlds to be bridged, uh, the virtual and the real, also places to be bridged, um, the African continent and uh, the UK and London and Johannesburg and, and Lagos. And, you know, really thinking about what do these cities and places mean in the virtual and the real? Um, I'm going to start off, um, I think, actually just asking Sumaya and Tiny to talk to us a little bit about what they've been doing this week, because we only have Sumaya for a very short amount of time tonight, unfortunately, because the Serpentine has forced her away from us, um, even though our, we, we've been scheduled for a long time, but, you know, I can't say no to Hansel or ignore to Sumaya um, to, to have to go and do, do many things for the last couple of days of the pavilion. So it's also a little bit of a, a, a bittersweet moment. Um, so kind of before we go into the larger conversations, Sumaya and Tiny, I know that you have been spending a lot of time together and really talking, I mean, the idea of performance in real, but also you know, what we're doing right now, that this will live in perpetuity um, in the virtual realm. So perhaps I just ask you to have a chat with each other first. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much, Alia, for having me and also for making me a part of the 154 family. I've been um, a supporter and an admirer, and it's been a part of my canon 
for a really long time. So it's an honor to be with you. Um, and it is bittersweet that this pavilion is, is coming down this week, as you said, but also I'm just reflecting on this conversation and this incredible network of friendships that it's created. And it's really, really special. Um, and I hope that we'll continue building on these, on these links and relations, um, which are also enabled virtually and is something really important for all of us to reflect on. Um, it's been an honor through this journey also to have met and connected with Tiny and um, Tiny had an incredible performance in the pavilion two nights ago, which was really, really special. Um, the pavilion draws on, um, it draws inspiration from many, many gatherings across London, past and present. And I, I was very interested in particular in spaces of performance and in stage spaces in um, space, spaces that uh, function as performance spaces, but that are accessible to everyone. So how performance happens and takes place on the street, that was one of the kind of genres of gathering that I looked at. And I'm really interested, uh, just also thinking with Tiny about this idea of how performance and art can be made more accessible and democratic in the virtual realm as well. Most definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, also, thank you, Elia, for having me. Um, this, is, this is really great to be a part of this. Um, I couldn't agree more. And I think with, with me and Samaya, it all happened very organically, which for me is a, always a beautiful thing. Um, and, you know, beyond being an incredible person and the amazing architect that she is and creator, um, for me, I was just really excited that a woman of African heritage, a woman of color, you know, um, a Muslim woman had had designed and basically done the architectural designs for the pavilion by the Serpentine. For me, it was such a monumental thing. And I feel like being somebody who was born in London, born and bred in London, areas like that have not always felt accessible to, you know, people like myself. And it's very important for identity and representation to be able to see ourselves in these sorts of spaces and so just developing from that of course we wanted to celebrate that in some way and it was not only myself but any the entertainer also performed and she performed a song I love so much she was great wasn't she Samaya she performed Pink Black Girls which is just a celebration of of you know women of color essentially and for me I feel like that song in particular was the perfect representation of you know, like you were saying earlier, Samaya, the reason why you wanted to design the space in the first place, you know, a place where, you know, women of all backgrounds could come and talk, converse, you know, discuss ideas. Um, and so, yes, yeah, she was really the star of the moment. I just came to just shake it up and just make everybody have a good time. But yeah, it was, it was really beautiful to be a part of it. So this idea though of in real life and, and Osinachi, you know, when we had our, our call last week and we kind of talked about, you know, what is it, you know, of course, you know, launching your NFT, but your work and, and your identity and what you value so much about where you live in the physical sense of it, right? Living in Lagos and, and how the city is so important to you. So how, you know, Tiny just talked about performing in the Serpentine building, in the real life space. So Maya, you've built this structure so how do we all think, and Gemma probably is, the, is you know, almost more suited to be a moderator of this than me, but really talking about how do you, you create these platforms that bring real life to 
you know, to the virtual and vice versa. Just to kind of jump in quickly, Alia, because I, I'm just also aware of time. Before we go, just to jump in on your point, I think that there's something about um, ways of being that come from all of our cultures and ways of being that come from African traditions, from South or Southern traditions, if I can say that, and ways of being that is so in line with this realm of the virtual and the digital, because it is so much about being able to honor through the oral, the oral, through voice and through performance, through things that are lived. And I think that that has so much synergy with the digital that we're not yet exploring, but that can be explored. Things that are, you know, my practice is particularly focused on finding expression for hybrid identities. And there's so much, there's so much that's analogous with that in the digital realm because it's open to shift. It's open to things that are evolving, mutating, constantly um, open to, 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 to being dynamic and to changing much more so than static architecture as we know it is at the moment. And the pavilion, of course, in real time, work to incorporate that through working with various sound artists and we had sound commissions in the pavilion. Um, and also, of course, live performance was a huge part of our programming. And I think trying to find ways for that digital realm to interface um, more with our physical spaces is something that we're all, we all need to be much more open to. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I might as well jump in off the back of that as well. I couldn't agree more. I feel like um, the digital has definitely given creators um, an opportunity to uh, really maximize on, on their work. And um, I feel for the longest time, because of bureaucracy, red tape, it's been very, very difficult. Um, and even just middlemen in general, it's been very, very difficult for artists to um, understand their real value and I feel that's what's so exciting about this new time that we're in you know being able to have ownership over your work and for people to be able to learn from that and I guess all in all create a society that's more equal and more fair you know because I think even if you take it into popular culture and you take like something as simple as like a dance routine for the longest time you've had pop stars who have had you know, record labels, etc., plowing money into them and marketing them in a certain type of way. But in terms of where the creativity has come from, very little people have known. Whereas now, because of, you know, all of the platforms we have, you have a group of people banding together and actually saying, no, you know, this was the creator of this dance. This was the creator of this outfit. And I feel like it's given so much more credence um, and just yeah and just just the right level of credit to the people that it should and the value as a result is being realized and that's what's making this such an exciting and disruptive time and for me personally if it wasn't for technology I feel like it would have been very difficult for me to emerge as an artist and cut through um, with the structures that be and yeah that's why I'm, I'm, I'm all for everything that's going on. I mean, what about the flip side of that, where so many artists in history have gone through periods of their life where they, their artistic life and their careers, where they've created something. Actually, Gemma, please jump in because it's probably something you know very well from Avon Art, but from also your time at Artsy League, and where they have destroyed works of theirs because they don't want them to live in perpetuity. That they were, they didn't like them, they were ashamed of them, 
You know, they, they didn't want them to be a part of their canon. With the internet, we don't have that. With the virtual things, never they'll never die. Yeah, I think it's a really, really interesting point, actually, thinking about that, you know, thinking about what the digital represents for an artist's practice from the, you know, from the respect of thinking about their legacy, the presentation of their practice. I, I think, you know, it's we always see there. Exactly. And we and we see that through art history and you see that um in, in totally different forms but you really see those threads and parallels and you see that thread of you know the per personal brand management of an artist I mean of course um, as Omar said in introduction I worked for Damien Hurst for five five years before I joined Artsy master of personal brand management when it comes to some aspects of of his career and his practice and I think it's really interesting thinking about the space that the digital creates and and that record and those moments in time that can't be edited in in the same way and I think you know I think it definitely brings with it challenges but I think there are also I think it brings kind of moments of inspiration as well and I think that you see artists practice develop and take steps in really interesting ways because of that new landscape so you know there might be moments when an artist has to be extra thoughtful about what it is that they're putting out into the world or the platforms on which it's going it's going to exist mm -hmm. um I mean I yeah I see it as well you know when I work directly with artists and and you you see artists kind of going through this ed editing process or reworking actually um I was yeah I was in the studio with an artist the other day who was telling me they were installing a museum show and there'd been there were lots of loaned works that were come in had come in and she kind of started making some edits to the those works but those works they're no longer her works they're mm -hmm. recorded digitally they're recorded in catalogues they that one version of them exists somewhere and that is the authentic version but of course the artist want might want to make ongoing edits Emissions. Yeah. I, I think it's I think it's very interesting and I do think it throws up challenges but um some in interesting kind of inspirational moments as well for artists so, uh, Sinachi, yeah so tell I mean for you like how does how do you think about that how do you just like give something up how do, how do you just let it go <laughs> <laughs> yeah um I, I don't really see it as as letting it go um in the NFT space we hear sometimes artists say they've burned um a token uh, because uh, of one reason or the other. But um, I feel that um, personally, in terms of creating, um, that is not something I would want to do, uh, no matter how bad the work is. Uh, starting out in the NFT space, I had a catalog of what I call my early works. And then I have um, these very um, current aesthetics for which I'm known. Um, what I did actually was to try and create a sort of... Um, trail, you know, for people to sort of, um, uh, to sort of follow my, um, the development of my work over time. And that meant, uh, first of all, uh, putting um, these um, early works on the blockchain, you know, um, the, the platform that I was often using for that is Rarible. So um, you can hear people talk about an earlier Sinachi. And when you go take a look at that, it's very abstract, it's much more different, but still colorful you know, um, compared to what I make uh, presently. So we, we've had cases in the, in the space where people say they've burned um, 
they've burnt a token and all that. But I feel that that is giving up the, I mean, it's one of the things that we can do in the digital space. That is one of the great things about digital space. But then the trail is, is, is still there. Um, the blockchain, the internet never forgets, but the blockchain is like um, this deep memory, right? That you can never erase. Mm-hmm. So also not to tiny, maybe, I mean, I think talking a little bit about like opening up these, let's say opening up the canon and, you know, Tiny, you were, you know, such a pioneer here in London and I'll, I'll tell a story like offline one time about kind of introducing your music to two American friends of mine who had moved to London. And it was, you know, this, that kind of the iconic, your, your first song. And it was just, it was like such a memorable night to me because they had never heard music and they weren't aware of the British really the British hip-hop scene, the British rap scene. And, and so kind yeah. of opening up these non-traditional spaces and Osinachi, you, you know, you with what you're doing now with Christie's and, and 154, do you see this as an equalizer? Do you see this world as being able to be that? Or is it still, because we hear it, it and I'll say, I think my original prejudice was that the tech world does seem like a world of like tech bros. And, you know, you, you hear a lot about that, but you know, maybe, maybe it's not anymore. And maybe it is, you know, much more open. Yeah, how you doing, Osanachi? Sorry, um, tiny Yeah, man, pleasure, bro. No, I was just saying, how you doing, bro? Pleasure, man. Good, Good to meet you, brother. But, um, yeah, I definitely feel like it, it has all the potential to be a leveler. Um, it's a very exciting space. Um, I'm very grateful at Omar's introduction as well. And I'm very excited to be one of the first artists, actually, like musicians to have contributed to that space in quite a disruptive way, you know, doing one of the first art residencies. Um, I I just think it's about people having the knowledge and understanding. I think that access is there, but, you know, obviously it's down to people to do their own uh, research and it is becoming more of a popular culture conversation. But yeah, I think once the knowledge is there, you know, this is still very um, early. It's still very, very early stages, but I do believe the idea of DeFi, the idea of smart contracts um, is going to solve lots of problems, you know, for artists and for musicians alike. And yeah, for me, I'm just so excited at all of the possibilities personally. What do you think, Osanachi? Yeah, I like it that Ali used the word um, equalizer. You know, some, some, some people would say um, validation, which are all correct from my own personal experience. Um, my work is born digital. And um, when I decided to take art more seriously, I was looking for opportunities um, in traditional art spaces because I was thinking that the traditional art space would validate my work. But then um, the fact that my work is digital meant that um, galleries and um, auction houses and all the traditional art uh, institutions weren't interested in it because they had to pay the staff, they had to pay rent, and there was no way to commercialize digital art until the blockchain came. And um, what the blockchain has done for me as an artist is to, um, to create value for my work. And um, that has happened in such a way that these traditional art spaces that once didn't want to take on digital art are now coming for digital art, right? So it's also my own way of saying, hey, I'm here now. Um, you, you see that my work is valuable because of the blockchain. And because of that, I can get your attention, the traditional art spaces and people are talking about my work. 
So I didn't, um, as a digital artist, I wasn't looking for opportunities in the digital space. The, the, the best I was doing was to post my work on Instagram. But until the blockchain came, the idea of flying in the digital space really came to me. And that is what the blockchain provided. That is what the NFT space provided. Um, so the middleman got cut out and I could do my thing without um, any obstruction. Well, speaking about the middleman, I mean, Gemma, I know, you know we're, we're talking to you here about your role at Avant Arts and, and, and Arts even before, but I mean, Damien Hurst in that kind of iconic auction, I mean, that was really cutting out the middleman, right? You know, and I mean, I'm a big believer in the gallery system, hence my kind of passion for 154 and my work with Art Basel. I, you know, I work with Art Basel as the representative for the UK and the Middle East. I really believe in galleries. Um, but Damien, of course, still continues to work with galleries, but with his auction, I mean, it was, it was an iconic moment. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that because yeah, the, talk about the middleman. Yeah, exactly. And the elimination of the middleman in that situation. No, you're right. I mean, I think that as a conceptual move, was brilliant in in many ways you know and I think it was an I think it was an experiment I think it was testing boundaries and pushing boundaries and I I think the the results you know it was a it was a really really high commercial success as an auction but then Maybe you know, for the audience, if they don't know, it's called, um, it's called Beautiful Inside My Head Forever, if I'm correct. That's right, at Sotheby. Uh, at Sotheby's. Yeah. And it was um, Damien Hurst decided to auction off his own works uh, at Sotheby's. Okay. So not through collectors, not through his, not through an auction. So it was very much a primary market sale, but at an auction house, uh, which is really groundbreaking in the art world. And yeah, and there was direct the eve of the Lehman Brothers meltdown. So really what at the time, I mean, now with COVID, it seems very marginal, but really like the end of the world, you know, the end of the world as we knew it. Yeah, exactly. And so those works were coming direct from the artist studio, works have been created especially for auction um, it was it felt like a really radical model and you know I think looking at um, Damien's market following that auction that particular moment was was a real peak and was a big kind of commercial driver for for Damien as an individual artist but then seeing the journey of his market beyond that it, it really kind of destabilized things and it's been a kind of tricky road with with that market since then um, and you know as a result the relationships with the galleries have kind of gone in and out but Damien still relies very much on his gallery relationships um, and I, I think that I, I'm like you, I, I'm also, I have faith in the gallery model. I do. I, I don't think galleries are, are going anywhere. I think galleries are um, thinking creatively and I think that's what they need to do. And I think it's exciting seeing how, how they are tackling that. And I think, you know, from in terms of the, the online platform, it's interesting um, Asinachi, hearing you talk about that kind of the idea of validation and the more traditional art world spaces and organizations kind of being going on that journey, perhaps at a slower pace to the artists in which they realize the value of those, the, the digital. And I saw that very much when I was at Artsy. You know, I, I first started working at Artsy around seven years ago and 
the idea of selling online was really, really terrifying um, and to a lot of galleries. And it was something that was really putting them outside of their comfort zone. And it really varied as well culturally. There were kind of the, the way that galleries were able to get on board with that and embrace the digital um, really, really varied. You know, I think um, in North America, galleries felt more comfortable with that. In Europe, it took longer. The African galleries were definitely getting on board with it early, at an earlier point in the journey, I would say. Um, really? That's so interesting. The African galleries were. Yeah. And I think it's because they realized that it was going to connect them with so many other art hubs and, and they were they were open to that, you know, and, and it was really interesting to see that and to see that adoption of the on, online platform as a as a means of selling. And then now, of course, I, I would say majority, if not majority of global galleries have got some online presence, whether it's through a partnership with an organization like Artsy, Artnet, or whether it's through their own digital platforms or, you know, I, and we're seeing it and the auction houses are doing it too. And I think for me, it's interesting because I've, I've never felt like I've been in a super, super traditional art world context. I, I did some work in with Sotheby's in the very beginning of my career, and that definitely felt traditional, but working for Damien didn't feel particularly traditional. Working at Artsy, definitely didn't feel traditional because it was at that intersection of art and technology at quite an early stage but then joining Avant Art suddenly what's happening at, at Avant Art feels so radical that it makes the rest of my career suddenly feel very traditional and it's kind of been an interesting journey for me because I just joined Avant Art this summer and, you know, the reason I joined is because the company's mission is to make art radically more accessible, which is something that I'm highly motivated by. And it's been um, key in my curatorial practice through my whole so career. Let me just interrupt you there because I want the idea of like accessibility and tiny. I want to talk to you about that because I think that's something in the music world. Also, there are those questions. I mean, you're obviously much more involved in the music world, but does accessibility, for example, pop music? So in the art world, accessibility, you know, artists, you know, pop artists. So let's not say like a Warhol. I mean, like artists, like high street artists, these types of things, pop music artists. How do we critically look at that? And how do we critically contextualize that in the context, for example, of like, you know, a curator at the Tate looking at an artist and being able to say, okay, fine, accessible artist, but not, not an artist that is going to go down in history, in the art history canon that will be collected by Tate. So in music, and now what you're doing with, with NFTs, how do we critically separate pop music or art from something that's really important and groundbreaking? Um, that's a good question. Um, I really wish I had all of the answers um, for, for, for that question because it's such a broad question. But um, I guess in in every sector of art, you know, there's essentially gatekeepers. Whether that's a good or bad thing is questionable. But there's always going to be gatekeepers. There's always going to be critics. You know, people who give their opinion. Obviously, we're living in a time now where everybody has an opinion, which again is questionably a good or a bad thing. <laughs> But I think, again, like, like with everything, the cream will always rise to the top. Um, 
you know, in, in the NFT space, for example, you know, what CryptoPunks and what the Board Ape Yacht Club has been able to achieve is incredible. You know, sometimes I, I discuss, you know, being somebody who's released my own NFT, wow, you know, do you think there's ever a chance that, you know, that, you know, we could maybe create a series or collection or there'll be another project like this. And a lot of people say no, but who knows, you know, it's such an early space. And yeah, I just think there's always a shift in the landscape. And I think with tech, it was always, it was kind of inevitable, you know, art has been very elite for so long, you know, or a certain section of art, it's been very elite and it's been very difficult to access for, I would say like a, majority audience but tech has been the equalizer like you were saying earlier and I just think it's happened in so many different areas music being one of those you know like I said earlier if it wasn't for things like LimeWire or if it wasn't for things like MSN Messenger or MySpace for example uh, all of the artists that you know today would not exist even the style of music that we appreciate today you know even let's say the the continuous rapid growth and influence of hip-hop culture it, it probably wouldn't have happened I think you know the internet kind of democratized everything and people were left to make their own decision you know it wasn't like the time before where everything was dictated to you you know you had to watch it for a certain channel you had to listen to a certain expert's opinion you know now you can listen and follow whoever you want and yeah, that's happening in the art space. So how will we be able to decipher what's good and what's not? I guess like in all sections of culture, the cream will always rise to the top. Um, and hopefully this, uh, this new time that we're in births new diverse dynamic critics, you know, from all different backgrounds and all walks of life. And that, that in itself is kind of interesting and exciting and radical in itself. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, and I think this is a really, really interesting and important point. I think this question around accessibility versus credibility, I think it's something I think about a lot. And I think it is so interesting. You know, Tiny, you're talking about the gatekeepers. And, you know, if we think about sort of the cu curators as custodians of, of art, to some degree, I would challenge it and say, well, I think it's the responsibility of a curator to make all art accessible rather than looking at, you know, certain pockets of art that are deemed to be accessible. I don't think there has to be um, an, a loss of intellectual dialogue or kind of pro progressive politics in the work, whatever it might be. You know, I think we can absolutely maintain that and really hope to continue seeing a really high quality of art, but it being accessed in different formats. And like Tani said, the digital is, is so often the answer to that. Just to give some examples, you know, on, on Avant Art, we, you know, we partner with um, artists who are, you know, very critically acclaimed, credible art, art world artists like Jenny Holzer, Elm Green and Dragset. But then we also work with artists who have got, you know, what you might call a hype following like James Jean. And we work with those artists with all within the same program. They're on a level playing field. I think there's a real kind of um, role of democratization there within that curatorial approach as well. And, and seeing people respond to these two different kind of groups of artists 
you know, we definitely, I definitely am seeing diversification within people's collecting habits, journeys of discovery, people appreciating different artists. I think there's a real blurring there. And, and then the last thing I was going to say on this as well is, yeah, I, I often think about what's happening in the digital realm as, as you know, a reimagining of, of how we think about art historical practice. You know, what you see in the Instagram comments is a version of art history. Like that is somebody's critical response to, to work. You know, like what Tiny was just saying, we're seeing new people come in as expert voices or voices with an opinion. And yeah, sometimes maybe that's not a great thing when there's everybody's got something to say, but it means that it, it, there's a democratization there in who is setting the tone for what is good. And, and I think that's that is something I find really encouraging. But then, so how does it work? I mean, so Osanachi is like, you know, kind of someone who's really doing this really radical moment this week. Like, how do you then think about that in terms of like validation of your own work? Like, how do you separate that um, and, and, and think about like who is responding to what you're doing? Well, um, I, I think that in terms of who is responding to what I do, I'm not thinking specifically about a particular group, uh, but, but, but then it, it also leads you to sort of streamline your audience to those who have access to the digital space, right? Um, I did um, a collaboration with Don Jazzy ending um, by the end of October. Don Jazzy is a music producer in, uh, in Nigeria. And what we wanted to achieve with that was to sort of create um, um, a way for African collectors and Nigerian collectors to, to enter the NFT space, you know, to collect these pieces that uh, they could get at um, such a price um, instead of the big uh, one of ones and all they could actually get open, open edition. And the, 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 the reception was good. You know, reception was, was great which goes to show that um, it is a matter of um, democratization of art when it comes to, when it comes to thinking around that. So uh, we, we're not looking at the elite in the art world, but we're trying to create a space for those who, are, who have like little money, but still want to buy these artworks to be able to, to, be able to thrive. And um, but on Instagram, especially where Don Jazzy doubles as um, an influencer, the reception was good, starting with um, education of uh, Nigerians, you know, in terms of what NFTs are and how they can get in. And Tiny, so your work with NFTs, I mean, that is like kind of also then bridging that world from like music. I mean, music has been a, a kind of vastly, you know, much more accessible space, I think, than the visual arts. So, I mean, I think just what Osinachi yeah. said, I mean, you, you can have a conversation right now about the differences there, so. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm very conscious of time, so this is the last thing I'll say, but yeah, I, I, I feel like you're right. Music has definitely been a more accessible space, but in terms of like ownership, I would say that that's why for me, like, you know, the crypto space, the NFT space is so empowering because, it's the it's the road to cutting out the middleman, which is such a common thing in the music industry across all of the areas. So, yeah, I mean, definitely there are definitely it's, it's probably more likely for a musician to 
release a song and gain traction and build a career off the back of that. Um, however, the NFT space has so much more potential, like potentiality, and that's the way I'm kind of seeing it. So for me, it was I was really excited, you know, to collaborate with an NFT artist, Vector Mildrew, a contemporary artist, Sasan Benambaktir, and make something that was dynamic and that could also, like you were saying, Osanachi, introduce my audience into a world that they may not totally understand because I do believe that in five years from now, it's just going to be a normal way of thinking. Like, you know, even the way people trade crypto now or they use crypto to make certain purchases or it's, it's become a very normal thing. Even the way we use our credit cards online. You know, I remember 10 years ago for me, that's like, what are you talking about? Like, put my credit card in on the end. Now is such a normalized thing. So I do feel like five years from now, it's going to be very normal. And we are in a kind of like last of a dying breed kind of era where, you know, a lot of these middlemen will be gone. Do you get what I mean? And would, would, you know, my grandkid is probably going to be like, what? You had like three people that used to have to, <laughs> you know, like sort out your stuff and used to give them all like a little, what? Why did you do do you get what I mean? Maybe that's what it's going to be like. But I think it's very exciting. And I think, like, really and truly, things don't have to be that convolute, convoluted and complicated. Things can be very simple. You know, it's, if you have a D to C relationship with your consumer base, things don't have to be that complicated. But I think the reason why I kind of have this take on music is because a lot of the industry is made to just be convoluted and complicated for no reason you know, and for me, the NFT space in terms of like the knowledge and the, the understanding of it, yes, that is complicated, but I feel like once there's a general understanding and it becomes even more accessible than it already is, it's just going to change the game in a major way. Like a non-functional token as opposed to a non-fungible token? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think it's I like really that. interesting think, thinking about the, the future in that way and I think that's one of the things that has fascinated me about Avant Art as I've watched the platform grow, you know, and one of the reasons I was so keen to, to join the company is because that they've got, they've built this community and it, it's a community of two and a half million people, 90% of them are under 35. And that, it just kind of blows my mind that that's so, that is so many young people who have gathered around art and they are finding art exciting they're learning about art they're engaging with it they're buying it it's all happening in a digital space and it's done through a digital platform and I think you know to go back to your question earlier about kind of the galleries and thinking about the middleman and I, I think the, there are so many aspects of the traditional gallery world that are desperately trying to figure out how to access that new that new generation that future gener generation they want to know how to um, have it enter a dialogue with those people uh, but it's amazing to see you know this huge community and and actually what I'm seeing in the community the more I'm learning about it at the Avant Art community is that it actually I can see echoes of a very sort of traditional model of of patronage you know collectors they really want to invest in an artist's practice they really want to support an artist as they grow they want to see the new ideas forming they want to be part of those conversations it's it's super super interesting to see you know that young generation engaging like that mm -hmm. yeah speaking of the young generation it's, it's like um the nft space the digital space entirely really um 
uh, speaks to what the young generation wants out of, out of the world, you know, it, whether we're talking about um, climate change, we're talking about um, anti-capitalist rhetoric, we're talking about all these radical ways of thinking. So um, a young person, a millennial or a Gen Z would tell you that it's kind of, um, it's not that good for you to buy an artwork and then go lock it up in a vault, right? That the world should have access to this artwork. And of course, when you come to the NFT space, that is exactly what it's like. So you, of course you own it as a collector, but anybody can go uh, view this artwork. So that democratization is there, which is what young people are pushing for you know, um, recently. I also feel that when it comes to what the NFT space can do, especially for, um, uh, for different genres of the arts, like music and art, um, first of all, there is the ability to collaborate. Uh, and then there's this ability uh, or feature that allows for a sort of intermingling of, of genres and tastes so that someone who enjoys music is um, uh, drawn to the, the, the visual that comes with it. Someone who enjoys the visual is drawn to the audio and in that way, both reinforce um, each other. And then most importantly for creators, it, it just allows for this, first of all, you enjoy the collaboration. You, you, you get to see the beauty that comes out of working together with someone from another genre of the art. And then you also enjoy the royalties for life because of how the NFT space is. So uh, there's shared royalties. And um, you, uh, of course, we're going to be seeing the middlemen still playing their role, the gatekeepers still playing their role. Personally, for me, their role in the space is going to be more educational, you know, and um, that is also important. But then you, you, you get to enjoy all of these perks as, 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 as a creator without having to appeal to the to the middleman it's so interesting hearing about um though you know you coming at this from the perspective as a creator and talking about those collaborations and how exciting they are that's something that i've really noticed in the, the young collectors who are buying from avant art and, and learning about art through avant art the kind of thing that they are looking at and that they are interested in it's these cross-cultural collaborations they yes they might be interested in an artist having shown in a museum but they're also really interested in an artist having done an album cover for a musician or a collaboration with a high-end fashion brand and those are often kind of these markers of credibility or success and that yeah. feels really new but I think yeah like you said as an artist to operate within that space where you can actually participate in those cross-cultural collaborations feels amazing and and it will definitely inevitably open up the art world because people will come at it through all these different routes mm -hmm. yeah. well i mean we also have for example like now the annika e at the tape modern and this idea of you know ai you know artificial intelligence and, and you know what what do kind of other beings um in our lives you know kind of influence us so i think it's also that moment where we, you know, can question, maybe we're at that, that in between, you know, Omar and his direction, me kind of explain a little bit of my work in Saudi and, you know, Saudi's at these crossroads and living a very different life. Right now, people are living very different lives than they did 20 years ago. Like I remember being in college and my friends had very different social kind of constrictions than they do now. Um, so maybe we think that in other words, you no know, snatching, I mean, you being in Lagos, I mean, Lagos is like a rapidly changing city. 
I mean, transformative. Mm -hmm. I mean, I haven't been in it, but I have many Nigerian friends. I mean, it, it, it's not anywhere somebody could have maybe recognized you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago in, in places that do change in that way. So perhaps it is about the global South changing so quickly. Yeah, um, well, you're, you're right to say that Lagos is rapidly changing. Not so physically, no thanks to the government and all. But when it comes to the the, the creative juice, um, you know, uh, forming across across um, the the state is, is is really great. You see that also across the, the whole country, Nigeria. For example, there is a popular place called Falomo Junction in Lagos. So it's this um it's it's, it's this bridge, right? And right at the bottom, you have these huge pillars that are sort of um, uh, holding the bridge. And then young people, you know, picked up their paintbrushes, picked up their, their paints and went there to create these fascinating uh, and amazing artworks, you know. It, it, it sort of um, brings to mind what these young people want to see, you know, as their space, right, um, as, as a, a place where they want to habit, you know. Um, yeah, they, they, they are trying to sort of um, take, take it into their hands, you know, sort of to create their own space and to let um, the government know that this is, this is what they want. So while, while um, the government is sort of dragging its legs, uh, young people are taking, using their creativity in ways that are changing the environment. Well, I, I just want to ask the audience if there are any questions we have just a couple minutes left, so please put them in the chat and, you know, we're super happy to kind of go over them. Um, of course, you know, I, I think you're all very accessible on social media, so people can also contact you in that way. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, anyone who has questions, please, please uh, put them in. But I think, you know, Gemma, you know, Sinatra, I'd love just to kind of hear from you, the ways in which you, like, how do you work together between like an artist and an organization? Because I think a lot of people are always very confused as to how an artist like you, Osinachi, like how do you how do you break through, or how do you have those relationships, and how do you, you know, get to do what you get to do, and then Gemma, in turn, how do you work with you know with artists, and, and how do you make it happen? Yeah, recently I've done a number of collaborations with a number of um, galleries in the space. These are galleries that. Um, saw what NFTs are becoming and uh, trying to like go in and explore and introduce their own collectors to this new um, medium. And what I've always had in mind going into this collaboration is that um, these galleries being um, gatekeepers, being middlemen can sort of um, educate, like I, I said before, the traditional art collectors about NFTs and also serve as um, as not just educating, but also serve as, um, you know, the, the, the collectors trust them so well that um, they would take uh, their work. They would sort of serve as um, the point for validation of NFTs, you know? I mean, um, most of the collectors in the NFT space are crypto natives, most of people who are, who are crypto rich and all that. But I don't think it should just be about the crypto natives which is why I feel that traditional uh, collectors um, need to also come in and um, collect NFT spaces. So collaborations for me have always been primarily about um, educating those in the traditional art space. Mm -hmm. Jenna? 
And for me, I mean, well, this is the best part of my job is getting to work with the artists directly. Um, and I, I think it's it's interesting to see what motivates artists um, to want to collaborate with Avantart. Certainly one of the key drivers is being able to access the the huge audience that we have the young young audience and and to collaborate with us on how to engage with that audience like how to communicate and that really varies you know we work with artists at varying career stages you know I see emerging artists who are really thinking about their market and carving that out and how a platform like Avon Art can really help to build that that market um, but then I'm also seeing artists you know the much later later stage of their career who you know they've had kind of big museum careers they're now thinking about their legacy you know they want young people to know about their art and they want to be able to en engage with that audience and I think a platform like Avant Art really offers a, an amazing way for those artists to do it also you know we we've got um a, a really amazing product and engineering team at Avant Art and they and, and they they approach these these challenges in this world in such a fresh way, and they bring these you know really incre incredible perspectives to the table. But they're able to look into the data, think about you know what market growth might might look like, who are the different pockets of collectors, audiences who are really resonating with with wow. works, and so I think that's really interesting as well. And then I'd say I mean there's many many reasons, but. Another one, actually, when I was talking earlier about the different kinds of artists that we work with, I think that's something that artists have told artists have told me they're super interested in is, you know, being on a program with artists who are working in totally different medium to them, mm. are at different career stage. They've got these different kind of followings and audiences and you get kind of really fruitful conversations between the, the artists. And then the kind of last thing I'll just mention is I think the creative production possibilities that we can bring to artists is really exciting because when we don't have the constraints of the traditional gallery model or the auction house so we can work with artists to really push the boundaries of their practice and think about new materials and think about what works in a digital space and how things can be presented well, I think I mean yeah I mean what so what are the expectations and I think Osanachi you know as our kind of you know wonderful like artists, groundbreaking artists in this situation, a little bit of a tough question, but I mean, what do you expect from the market? You know, I mean, we haven't really talked about the market yet. And, and I guess I should have um, you know, kind of also said that I'm kind of starting to think about like my own professional work in this space and working to help institutions understand what they can get from the NFT space and how they can work in capitalizing on their collections by um, you know selling an, an NFT based on masterworks in their collection uh, with Museo 2.0. And that's such an important thing because so often we see, in a way, I don't think the middleman should be cut out. So I think it is important that we have institutions benefiting and you know galleries being a part of those conversations. But so Osanachi, you with your work, like, I mean, the market is, I mean, not to end it on a market note, but I actually <laughs> think it is really important yeah, when, when it comes to the market, um, well, personally, I don't like to talk about the money, the money, the money. I, I like to talk about the art, you know, which is what is being created in the space. But when it comes to the market, we've seen NFTs um, really, um, we've seen groundbreaking sales, right? Starting with people and then a few other um, NFT artists, like even Ferocious, 
who have gone on to auction and done so well. What these sales um, or these auctions do is to bring attention to what we're doing in the NFT space, which is which is very great, which is also great. Um, but yeah, I, I would I would say that as a very successful artist in the NFT space, right? I I expect that the market moves positively for me as it is moving currently. Uh, but then I don't want to talk so much about the money aspect of it and um, tend to forget the, the, the art. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, it is, it, that is the balance, right? That is the balance with the virtual world. And here we are, we're in the virtual salon. But at the same time, you know, we're all in the real life space and it's freeze week and I just had our mm -hmm. puzzle and, and all the rest of it. So the balance is the market, the artist, the middleman, the gallery, the auction house. And I think uh, the perfect way to end it is to say that our worlds are hybrid and that we all need to embrace the hybrid going forward. And that's a good thing. We also need to have a critical understanding of who and what is, um, you know, works and artists of quality and artists we should represent, we want to represent and we want to represent our collections, we want to represent in institutions. And Osanachi, you are definitely one of them. So thank you so much for thank joining you, us. Alia. Yeah, thank, thank you, Gemma. Thank you, Omar, uh, Dr. Omar Khalif, and uh, thank you, Tiny and Sumaya. Uh, representatives of so many worlds, the global south, the worlds of music and art and all of the rest of it. Thank you very much. 154, my, my kind of favorite ultimate in my heart place. And we will all be in real life at 154 at Somerset House this week also. Thank you, Alia. Thank you.